If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. We're going to close out Matthew 26. And we're going to jump over to Luke's Gospel tonight after we read this. No, I mean, we're going to... The study's going to... Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon your word. Speak to us. As we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we were together, Jesus announced that he was going to be delivered to be crucified. Um, Mary, sister of Lazarus and Martha, anoint his feet and she is mocked uh, because <coughs> such costly perfume, oil, wasted, it could have been sold and given to the poor and Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done this for my burial. So she had insight that was further than anybody else because she was getting ready for what was pending. Judas is uh, agrees to betray Jesus. Jesus has the Passover, changes Passover to communion. And so we have communion that we... Um, one of our, what is that, a rite? Uh, what do they call that? Our, not a rite of passage, but uh, a sacrament. sacrament. So one of the sacraments that we have, marriage, um, you know, uh, communion, things like that. So we have co communion, it replaces Passover. And then ultimately we get down to um, Jesus predicts that Peter is going to deny him. And Peter stands, and we're going to focus on that toward the end of the study, but Peter, um, man, he's adamant that no way, he's ready to die for God. And there's no way that he's going to deny Jesus. And so uh, we're just going to take a look at what backsliding looks like toward the end. But I think it's good for all of us because I think all of us have been there. All of us have probably gone to places where, whoa, you know, i got to be careful. i got to see how you end up at this place where you're distant from the Lord, where you, we should be close to the Lord. Um, and then to help for others as well, we can learn. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays three times. He asks his disciples to go with him. He takes three of them with him. Who did he take with him? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. But who does he tell to be careful because he's sleeping, specifically? Peter. Peter, you should be praying with me. You're going to enter into temptation. And prayer is what's going to help you with that temptation. So that's very important for us to know. In moments of temptation, if we're being bombarded with temptation to sin, we need to be in prayer. Prayer is, you know, connection to God. It's where our power source is. It's, it shows humility because we're dependent upon God. It shows our weakness, right? When we're, when we're prayerless, we don't have to pray because what we're strong in ourselves. And that was... Peter, right? I'll never deny you. If I have to die, I'll die. And then, of course, we're going to see it right here. He denies the Lord. So we pick it up now in verse 57. That's where we left off. Um, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now, one thing we're going to get from this section of Scripture, Jesus is about to be crucified. And it's just amazing to me, as I read through this, wow, what Jesus did for me, for sure. What he did for us, for sure. But what God could have done, but didn't. 
because this was God's plan. And it's very important that we understand, um, man, nothing can stop God. And these guys think that they're doing something. These guys think that they're in charge. They think that they're in control. When all the while God is orchestrating things behind the scenes for our salvation so that we can be with Him forever in eternity. And I think that's pretty incredible as you read through this. Verse 58, But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So Peter is still there hanging. He's kind of trailing a little, right? But he's he's still there. He's kind of wanting to see what's going on as Jesus is going to be uh, brought up on these false charges. Verse 59, Though the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But found none. Isn't that crazy? They got nothing to say about Jesus. They're looking for false testimony. And they need two to three witnesses, right? They can't do it just one person. So two people can't agree on any one thing, even if they're lying on Jesus, right? Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. John chapter 2 tells us clearly after Jesus cleanses the temple, he's asked by the religious leaders, what authority do you show us that you can do these things? Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it. And then it clearly says in John chapter 2, and he said this referring to his body. He was referring to the temple. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But he was referring to his body. So it clearly says that, right? Jesus wasn't saying that he was going to destroy the temple. He was saying this temple, his body. Um, now the chief priests and all the... the false witnesses. Uh, verse 62. And the high priest rose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. I think that right there struck out to me as I was reading through this, reading through this chapter again. Jesus could have said a lot of things to defend himself. Jesus could have brought witnesses. Hey, hey, guy with withered hand, come here, come here. Hey, um, Lazarus, come here, dude, you were dead, come here. You know, hey, leprosy guys, come here. Hey, demoniacs, come here. Mary Magdalene. From whom it says what? He pulled out seven demons. Come here. He could have had many witnesses to testify about what he did, what he did accomplish, what he was doing. You know, Peter, James, John, and all of you guys, all 12 of you, come here. Did I transform your lives over this, you know, three, three and a half years of ministry? But he didn't do that. And again, I just, I think, man, he's intent on doing the Father's will. He's, he's committed to doing what God is calling him to do. Um, He kept silent. Notice the next sentence. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now at this point, the high priest does have authority. And he calls on the authority of God. There's a scripture in Kings that shows something similar. That if a ruler puts you under oath under God, then you have to testify and speak the truth. And so Jesus is silent up to that that point. And I think of Isaiah chapter 53, like a sheep led to a slaughter, he was silent before his accusers. So there's a verse that says exactly that. 
But the high priest puts him under oath, and Jesus comes back and says, it is as you said, nevertheless, um, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Right here, you just see humanity at their worst. I, I was reading some quotes from Spurgeon, and Spurgeon said that we strike Christ in the face every time and spit at him every time we deny him in this way as well. There's just an interesting couple quotes that I had read from Spurgeon, but man, that's hard to hard to swallow. That's hard to take in. That Jesus is silent, taking this, a bad place <coughs> over his head. head. They're slapping him in mockery. Hey, prophet, Messiah, you just said you're the Christ. Son of God, prophesy. Who's hitting you? You know, you should know this stuff if, if you got all this power. And Jesus just endures it. He says nothing and he just takes it. And Again, I just think what he could have done, he could have brought a legion of angels down, right? There are, there are legions of angels at his command. One angel in the book of, I think it's Kings again, kills something like, I don't know, how many thousands of people? 20,000? One angel. I mean, you imagine if he calls a legion? He calls a four to 6,000 angels down? But he doesn't. He just, he's already... In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, if this cup can be removed, but nevertheless, not my will, thy will, there was no other way. So he's, he's re resolute. He's headed toward the cross. He knows what's ahead of him. And he's enduring all of this for us. He's enduring all of this so that we can be with him in eternity forever. And not only that, I just think of the life now and, and just eyes open and having <clears throat> access and this relationship with God. How awesome is that? I can't imagine going through life without God. And there's so many people that do. Like all the pain, all the, the suffering, all the struggle, all the questions. You know? But to be able to go through life with God, that alone. <coughs> His comfort when we need it. His peace when we need it. His power and strength when we need it. His compassion when we need it. Just all of that. I just think, man, I mean, heaven is going to be heaven, right? Out of this world. But even life now. To be able to go through it with him, that's pretty awesome. This last section is, we're going to see it again in Luke 22, but let's read through it. 69. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard and the servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out, to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were with, who were there, "This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth." But again, he denied it with an oath. So now he's, you know, swearing that he did. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, "Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you." Uh, the speech that they're referring to is, you know, <coughs> little Galilean draw. Uh, I read in one of the commentaries that uh, if you were Galilean, you couldn't even speak. You know how like, you can go to the front of the church and be able to share from the scripture and do a reading? Not if you were Galilean. <laughs> I, I didn't know that until I, 
I read that in the commentary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every anybody except you people from Texas. Yeah, anybody else can come up and share. You know, he had that draw. They had that you know country accent or whatever it was. So his speech is giving him away, and uh, they're like, yeah, your speech betrayed you. Verse seventy four. Then he began to curse and swear. And what he's doing is he's condemning himself. I swear I'm going to hell if I know who Jesus is. I don't even know him. I mean, he, he curses himself. He damns himself. That's pretty serious stuff. I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Jump over with me to Luke's gospel. We're going to end there. Luke 22. And we're going to see the same account. And we can say definitely that Peter did not expect to deny the Lord. So I kind of titled this little section what backsliding looks like. And again, I think it's Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. So take a look at verse 31 and 34. You can see Jesus speaking says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, who is Peter, Indeed, Satan hath asked for you that he may sift you, as we, what's the picture we get of sifting wheat? What, what, what do you guys see when you think? Okay, okay. I see a cheese grater. <laughs> and I just think of a, taking a person and just taking them through a cheese grater. Sift you. Just, I mean, definitely there, but those holes are, those are cute. The little sift, the wheat sifter, yeah. right? They're cute. No, the, the wheat just falls. And it's so fluffy, right? Ready to make a, a nice, thick, something good, yummy. No, no, I think of a cheese grater, how Satan wants to... He's still a diabolical, Satan. But he's asking for Peter by name. He, he asks for you by name. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you. He wants to laugh in your face. He'd rather destroy you than kill you. Kill is second. Rob, kill, and destroy. He wants to rob you of the blessings you have. He wants to rob you of the peace that God has to offer you. He wants to rob you of the joy, unspeakable. So, rob, kill, and destroy. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar, right? So he's asking for Peter by name. Notice verse 34. Then he said, Jesus speaking again, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. And you know me. No, no way is Peter thinking, man, Satan wants to have me deny Jesus. He's strong in himself. He knows what he believes. He's genuine, he's sincere, and there's no way that he can imagine what is on the horizon. And so for us, I think it's very important that we learn from this because we want to see the steps, but we got to be careful to, to, to be confident in the wrong things, to trust in the wrong things, because the rug of faith will be pulled from under us, and if we're not looking to the right things, and man, we're, we're, we're set from slipping, as the Bible declares. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible says, For those of you who think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. And so, I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we look at others and we think, Ah, oh, wow, they're stumbling, they're in sin. Yeah, that's a weak one. I, I can see why, why, yeah, they're just, yeah. And then before you know it, we think kind of like, yeah, I would never, yeah, I would never. 
succumb to that. Yeah, take heed. Bible warns, lest you fall. And so there's something to be said about being warned. First step, self-confidence. Notice verse 33. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Wow. Self-confidence. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. I have a sword. I'll use it. I'll defend you. Me and you against the world, and I'll take them out. Jesus, get behind me. (laughs) I got this. Somebody turn to Proverbs chapter 28. Read me verse 26, please. It's an important verse for us to keep in mind. Proverbs 28, verse 26. Twenty-eight, twenty-six. Okay. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. But whoever walks what? Wisely. Wisely. So wise walking, we're delivered. Trusting in our own heart is foolish. We're fools. And so you can be strong in areas, but guard that strength. (laughs) Peter's greatest strength was his boldness. He falls in his greatest strength. He didn't guard his strength. He didn't surrender or submit that strength to the Lord. So be careful with that. Step number one, self-confidence. Step number two, prayerlessness. Notice verse 40 and 45 in Luke 22. Verse 40. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then notice verse 45. When he arose from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Specifically in Matthew's Gospel we read, and he said, Peter, Peter, you're going to enter into temptation. Why are you sleeping? Couldn't you wait and pray with me for a little while? And so step number two is prayerlessness, self-confidence. First, my, my, my strength is in myself. Oh, that's not a good strength. That's a weak link. That's like, you know, the chain, right? That's a weak link. Our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is in humility. Our strength is in trusting God, taking Him at His word, walking in obedience to that. Number two, prayerlessness. Number three, carnality. Notice verse 50. Verse 50. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. (laughs) Guess who that was? John 18 verse 10 tells us that the guy's name was Malchus. And the guy who cut off his ear? Peter. So Peter unsheathes his sword and you're not going to have my Jesus. And so he's fighting a spiritual battle with physical weapons. And I think we do the same often, right? To be carnal is to live and act in the energy of the flesh instead of in the power of the spirit. It is always an indication that we are out of touch with the Lord when we say and do rash and unspiritual things. We're, we're trusting in stuff that isn't going to get us very far. Carnality. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Somebody read me verses 1 through 3. I don't have access to my computer nor my printer, so I give you guys homework to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, please. And I, brethren, then I speak to you as to spiritual people. As, um, as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. 
I feed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you are not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are evil, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? <laughs> it's all the way, what verse? Three. Oh, I already went. Okay, that's it. We'll take it. That's it. Sorry. All right, so Paul comes to Corinth and he sees all of these spiritual gifts, right? That are just, man, they're booming. They can speak in tongues, they can prophesy, they can do wisdom, knowledge, all of these spiritual gifts are at work. But he's like, when I came to you guys, I couldn't even speak to you as spiritual. Because you guys were carnal, you guys were walking in the flesh, you were walking in carnality. There's all these divisions and schisms, and you guys are murmuring, you guys are backbiting. Tongue is just loose with this group, and that's carnality. So, self-confidence, prayerlessness, carnality. Number four, Peter followed afar off. Notice verses 33 and 54. 33, Luke 22 again. 33, verse 33 says, But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then jump down to 54. And 54 says, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. He was ready to die for him. He, he was ready to go all the way. Now all of a sudden, Peter's following at a distance. So step number four is following afar off. In Luke chapter 9, I'll turn there. Luke chapter 9, verse, let's see what I have here. Luke 9.62 The Bible says, But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. I think for us it's very important that we're, we're careful to continue to look straight. We put our hands to the plow, which means we became Christians. We're ready for the work that God has in store for us. And we're not turning around. We're not looking around at the world and what other people are doing and how other people are walking with God. Put our hands to the plow. Let's move forward in the things of God. Let's continue to stay steadfast in the things of God. We've left that world. The world behind me, the cross before me. I will... What's the lyric in the song? The world... No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. So let's not turn back. It's a song. It's a hymn. No turning back. So, moving forward. Peter is following afar off. Step number four. Step number five, worldliness. Notice verse, again, in Luke chapter 22, verse 55. There's seven of these steps, by the way. So we're on step number five. Fifth step. Worldliness. Verse 55 now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So now Peter is in the midst of warming his hands with that which warms the world. Um, worldliness is anything and everything that leaves the Lord Jesus out. Peter sat down with the world. And I think it's a... I mean, we're in the world, we're not of the world. We're supposed to be mixing up with people of the world so that we can definitely be a light to them. 
But we have to be careful with the behavior of the world. Before you know it, we get around a certain group of people and we start taking on that char- those characteristics. We need to be careful. We need to be an influence to them, not have them influencing us. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, um, With the laying on of hands and the gifts that were given, fan the flame of those gifts. God has given you gifts. Stoke. <clears throat> Stoke that flame and let those gifts thrive in your life. Be careful with worldliness. Number six, increasing in sensitivity. Notice verses 31 through 33. Verse 31 through 33. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. So step number Six was increasing in sensitivity. This is what happens when we backslide. We literally slide more and more down the slippery slope of self-confidence to prayerlessness, to carnality, to following afar off, to worldliness. And then we become so insensitive that we can actually end up denying the Lord. Last step, verses 55 through 60 in Luke chapter 22. 55 through 60. Open denial. 55 says, Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are also of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept. Bitterly. Final step is open denial. And when Jesus looks at us, um, it's always with eyes of compassion, eyes of love, eyes of grace, eyes of mercy. But it's like, Peter, I told you. And all along, yet all of these steps that we could have at any point kind of looked to me, find strength in me, but you just continue to move forward in your confidence, move forward in your self-reliance, move forward in your pride, move forward in your own ways, even following at a distance, you know, you're kind of there, but not there. Um, and so I just, final step, open denial. Um, when he looks at him, I just think, man, that must have just nailed him. Like, a lot of people would think that Jesus is looking at him like he's mad or something. Jesus is on his way to the cross. And Jesus loves Peter. So when we sin, I think that condemnation that we feel is from the enemy. It's not from the Lord. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. And it's hard for us to fathom that because we're so, um, I don't know, one strike you're out, two strikes you're out, three strikes you're out with people. You know, I can handle so much. But God is not like us. 
so he's just so loving. He knows what he got when he picked us, right? I mean, it's not a surprise. I love how, um, if you continue to read the story of what happens, you know, on the day of Pentecost and how Peter's restored, um, right before the ascension, Jesus would ask for Peter. When he is risen from the dead, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He names him. Go tell the disciples and Peter. In Psalm 139, the Bible says that a broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. And I honestly think that we need to go through times like this. We need to deny the Lord, to see His love for us, to see how reliable He is, how dependable He is, how faithful He is. When we remain faithless, He remains faithful, right? He cannot deny Himself. And I think all of us, you know, in moments like this, we kind of realize, Lord, you really, really do love me. Like you're, like you're not quitting on me. You're not giving up. You bought me. You own me. And man, this is good to know. And I think it's very important that we communicate this with others as well, because a lot of people think that there is a one strike you're out with God, or three strikes you're out with God, or I've I've done this over and over again. Okay, I I struggle personally as a pastor as people come to me with um, kind of their sins over and over. And I wonder when they're going to get it. Uh, the, the, the path to humility is a difficult path. It's a very difficult path. I think it's one of the toughest things to go through. But humility is, and a lot of times I think we think it's about just uh, having a self-abased perspective. It's just get rid of self. Self is pride. So when there's pride in our hearts, whether it's low self-esteem, high self-esteem, it's self. Both of those are forms of pride. And so for the Lord to bring all of us through to that place of humble dependence upon Him, where it's not about self, it's about Him. It is about eyes on Jesus, about getting our attention on Him. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. And we want that grace. So, it's a tough road to be on, but man, having gone through it, you won't change it. Because your dependence on God is power and strength and, and just beautiful uh, life. 